Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, all we need is you, Lord. All we need is you, Lord. So thank you for the word, Lord, this morning. Um, Lord, would we just be attentive, Lord? Would you keep our eyes open, our minds clear, Lord, and our focus on you? As pastor delivers the word this morning, Lord, may we be blessed from it, by it. In Jesus' name, we Jesus pray. Name. Amen. Amen and amen. Good morning and welcome. You can be seated. Those of you joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. We're so glad that you are. Trust that you'll all be blessed uh, that you did. And we're just glad to have you. So uh, before we begin, by way of a Maui update, I want to refer you to our Thursday night video. We provided a link online. Uh, For those of you that were not here, we were so blessed to have Pastor Steve Santos with us uh, for the evening. So that video is on our social media platforms and also the website. Uh, We actually talked by phone this morning. He wanted me to make sure that I thanked all of you for just encouraging him, loving on him and Kim while they were here, showing them such love and hospitality. They just kind of needed that little bit of respite, which they were able to get uh, once I left them alone. Uh, (laughs) Quit bugging them. I think he blocked me. No, he didn't block me. But uh, anyway, so just on behalf of Pastor Steve and his wife, Kim, thank you very much. You, I've said this, and I, I mean this, and the Lord knows my heart when I say this. You make the pastorate a joy. You guys make the pastoring of this, I didn't say pestering, I said pastoring of this church, such a joy. And I always tell people that if I wasn't the pastor of this church, as is my privilege to be, this is where I would go to church. So you're stuck with me. Uh, I am going to be continuing with brief weekly Maui updates for several reasons, not the least of which is our commitment as a church to help the people of Lahaina. And the reason is, is because Jesus loves Lahaina. And we want to get Jesus to the people of Lahaina and the people of Lahaina to Jesus. And that's what we're doing. And that's why we've come alongside Calvary Chapel Westside in Lahaina and are providing long-term financial Maui mission support to this end. This is in concert with the other short-term and long-term Maui missions we're involved with, which I'll do my best to keep you apprised of for the foreseeable future. Of course, this is all predicated upon the presupposition that we're still here. Wow, it's too early for first service. I wasn't thinking. <laughs> first John chapter 5. Our text today is verses 6 through 13 as we make our way verse by verse through this first epistle. I'll ask you to stand if you're able. If not, where you're seated is fine. You can follow along as I read. The Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, continues and is writing. And I have to say, Uh, at the beginning here, we have a very, very interesting portion of Scripture before us here today in God's Word. And I'm really looking forward to what it is that God's going to do in and through His Word. So beginning in verse 6, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, verse 8, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. Now, verse 9, we accept, think this through, man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which He has given about His Son. Anyone, verse 10, 
who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Emphasis added. <laughs> because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony, verse 11. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things, verse 13, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Wow. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And this portion that we have before us today here in your word. Lord, there's so much here, and it warrants and requires even the need for us to have the Holy Spirit open up the eyes of our understanding, or we're not going to get what it is that you want to show us in your Word today. We're not going to hear what it is that you want to speak into our lives in and through your Word today. So Lord, that's why we're here, is because we, with great anticipation, know that we're going to hear you speak very clearly. And because you know our hearts, you're going to speak right to the heart. You know exactly what we brought into this church service with us today, the hurts in our hearts, the struggles in our lives, the trials of our lives. So Lord, would you now minister to us as only you can, and are always so faithful to. And when you do, Lord, please, we, we don't want our minds to wander. The enemy wants our minds to wander, so we miss it. So you're going to have to get our attention by the Holy Spirit. And then once you've got our attention, keep and hold our attention, so we're not distracted from what it is that you have for us. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I want to talk with you today about how it is and why it is that our only need is for Jesus and Jesus alone, especially in this, the last hour. I'm reminded of that hymn of old, you can have the world, just give me Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me, though none go with me, still I will follow. Doubtless you've heard it said that you'll never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And if that's what it takes, so be it. But when it really comes down to it, all I need is Jesus. Just give me Jesus. You can take all of that away, but you cannot take Jesus away from me. And this is actually what the Apostle John is writing about, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you <laughs> noticed, I mean, I, whenever I read God's Word, I always try to do it justice, the justice it deserves. I'm not one for just a monotonous, you know, monotone reading of the Word of God. Well, that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> you know, like it's liturgy. No, it's the Word of God. It's alive, active sharper than any two-edged sword. And it comes alive. 
And if you noticed that no matter where you're at in your life, it's where you're at in God's Word. It's always going to speak to where you're at. Did I just repeat myself? I probably did. You get it, right? You got the point. Doesn't matter where you're at in your life, where you're at in God's Word is always going to speak to where you're at in your life, because God's Word's alive. So such is the case with the text before us today, because the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to get this, wait for it, he's going to talk to us about Jesus, period, only, only Jesus. It's not Jesus and, Jesus with, Jesus anything. It's just Jesus. Now I am keenly aware that I, and it is my privilege to do so when I teach the Word of God, I am keenly aware that uh, it's in the hearing of people that are hurting and struggling. And we have a portion of Scripture like this in our Bibles for people like you that are going through such difficult times. As I was praying and preparing for today's teaching, a striking and even stunning truth came leaping out from the text. And I, I hope this doesn't sound like an oversimplification, but the truth that came leaping off the page was the Spirit of truth, which testifies that it's all about Jesus, and it all centers on Jesus. I know that's a firm grasp of the obvious. Of course, I know that, Pastor. What's your problem? Well, I, we got three problems, actually, if you don't mind. And actually, these three problems, if you'll kindly allow me to, I'll address them. But I'm going to address the three problems vis-a-vis -vis three questions which I think will make sense here in a moment. They are as follows. Number one, in verses 6 through 8, do I believe in the only true Jesus? Number two, in verses 9 and 10, do I accept the testimony of Jesus? And number three, in verses 11 through 13, do I know I have eternal life in Jesus. So you see the problem kind of packaged with the question, which in, in, a, in effect sort of one of those things where the question sort of answers itself, the way it's framed. But let's not be dismissive of them under the banner of this being a firm grasp of the obvious again, because the answers to these three questions, the addressing of these three problems can and should be life-changing truths for every single one of us, myself included. And by that I mean, Jesus is the truth, such that the truth sets us free, and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Well, okay, Pastor, what, again, what's, what's your problem? Well, I'll tell you all my problems if you want. <laughs> but before we jump in, I just want to share from my heart to yours that when you hear someone like me say something like this, and you already know the verses in the Bible, you can quote them as well as I can, and probably better than I can. Like for example, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know what the implications of that are? That means that not a way, a truth, a light, no, the way, the only way, 
In other words, I only need Jesus because He's the only way. I only need Jesus because He's the only truth. And I only need Jesus because Jesus is the, the life, the only life. So Jesus is all I need. Okay, Pastor. I'm one of those that's going through extreme hardship and painful trials. Well, you need Jesus. That's all you need. Well, isn't that kind of simplistic? No. What do you mean? Well, let me, I can just kind of get real here. Uh, maybe there's marriage problems. And uh, the wife, the husband, kind of like, you know, I just can't do this anymore. And they want to leave, or they have already left. You still have Jesus. How about the wayward daughter, the prodigal son? They're away. You still have Jesus. You know, I've lost this, I've lost that. You haven't lost Jesus. Let me take it a step further and suggest that maybe, just maybe, consider this, that because they, that, them, this are no longer in the picture, maybe now what comes into clearer focus is Jesus, because He's all I need. And again, I know there's this propensity for an oversimplification, but think about it. When you get the diagnosis, Jesus is there. I still have Jesus. I have cancer, but I have Jesus. You get the news, horrific, unthinkable, Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. He's the only one I can go to during times like that. Now, I'm kind of building a foundation upon which I want to proceed, and it's simply this. It requires a prerequisite of sorts that I come to Jesus, rely only on Jesus, as I put all my trust in Jesus. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because there's these competing things in my life that are vying, clamoring for my attention, man, my trust and my reliance and my time. And then where's Jesus? Well, but when that's all been taken away, stripped away, all you're left with is, well, Jesus. And He's all you need. Jesus, period. Jesus only. I have to confess that in my life, I've been walking with Jesus for over 40 years. There have been so many times where I'm just at the end of myself. And I've tasted of a cup of intimacy with Jesus that was so deep that I would have never otherwise tasted from, had it not been for what He allowed to happen in my life. While I would never want to go through it again, I would never trade that intimacy, that closeness that I had with Jesus. I, I knew Him and I know Him in ways that I could have never otherwise known Him, were it not for that. So I can stand before you today, and the Lord knows my heart when I say, I know Jesus. I know Jesus, and He knows me. I think in Matthew 7, it should send chills up and down every single one of our spines, make the hair on the back of our, those of us that still have it, stand up on end. When He says, depart from me, I never knew you. What are you talking about? 
we did all of these things in your name. No, I, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. Depart from me. I never knew you. So no, I know Jesus, and Jesus knows me. You know how it is, how we are? Come on. We know people. Oh, we drop names. Wait, you know so-and-so? Because oh, they're local. <laughs> well, how about this? Um, I know Jesus, and Jesus knows me. <laughs> In fact, I can call him any time. Well, you got his number? Yeah. Was that too much? I'm going somewhere with this. Just bear with me. Again, this is another one of those scenic route sermons, so just bear with me. This is Jesus only. And it requires, verses 6 through 8, our first one, that I believe in the only true Jesus. Well, that's rife with a lot of uh, implications, because just by virtue of the question, it implies that there are other Jesuses, and there are. Now, I need to kind of give you a little bit of the backstory here. We did talk about this prior, but uh, I'm framing this question this way, because in John's day, the Gnostics taught that Jesus had not come in the flesh. Thus the detail of blood, He's flesh and blood. That was a direct reference to the Gnostics who did not believe that Jesus had come as a man. Now fast forward to our day. That's not the problem. In fact, it actually is the problem, because not only do we acknowledge Jesus was a man, that's as far as we go. Oh yeah, Jesus was a good man. But the problem now is, no, was Jesus God? That's the Spirit. He was fully God and fully man. And this is the litmus test. There's no in between. Either Jesus is fully God and fully man, or you're guilty of making God out to be a liar. That will not end well for you. <laughs> but that's what John's saying. Well, that's what John's saying. Why is John saying what John's saying? Because and here again, lest we're quick to dismiss this under the banner of, well, I know He's fully God, He's fully man. That's a firm grasp of the obvious pastor. Can you move on? Not yet. Why? Because uh, there's uh, the Republican Jesus. Okay. Should we bow our heads, close our eyes? You can. There's the Fox News Jesus. I probably better say the Democrat Jesus too, just to be an equal opportunity offender. But, but there's a Fox News Jesus. And I don't know, does CNN have uh, Jesus? They need Jesus. I don't know if they. Um, there, there's a seeker friendly Jesus. There's a tolerating Jesus. There's a cool, relevant skinny jeans latte Jesus. <laughs> I had to. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. But that's not Jesus. A number of years ago I was, uh, I don't know why, maybe the Lord had me for a reason, but I was just listening to this teaching. And it was one of these, I mean, where's that in the Bible? I'm going, wait, wait, you, you, no, no. 
Jesus came to, three-point sermon, very nicely packaged and organized, you know, the typical three-point sermon. I do them all the time. I'm doing one today, so you'll forgive me. But three points. Very, Jesus came, point one. And, and, and I'm looking at him, he did? Wait, where does it say that he came to do that? No, he came, the Bible says, to do this, not that. So then at the end, the conclusion of the three-point sermon about why Jesus came, none of which were in the Bible, there was an invitation to come to Jesus. And my question is, what Jesus are you inviting them to come to? Because that's not Jesus, because I know Jesus. And Jesus knows me. In fact, I'll, I'll give you his number if you want. You should already have it. But. Uh, what Jesus are, are you inviting them to come to a Jesus that just accepts everyone just the way you are? Because that's not the true Jesus. Are, are you inviting them to come to a user-friendly Jesus that, hey, it's cool. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Because that's not Jesus. Well, I might as well. I've, I've already, uh, you know, I've got nothing to lose. Are you inviting them to a political Jesus? Because you know, if you are what you've just done, first of all, that's, that's not Jesus. Uh, Jesus, I know that's, well, it's the truth. Jesus is not Republican. You okay? Oh, I really did it now, didn't I? Wasn't a Democrat either. See, as soon as you present or invite someone to a Republican Jesus, what have you just done? Come on. That's not who the true Jesus is. I'm going to take it further. Might as well at this point. <laughs> just bear with me. I just wonder, I, I, I think about things like this. I know they have clinical terms for people who think things like this, but I think things like this. Let's just say, for purpose of discussion, just hypothetically, that Jesus were here today on the island. Ooh. I wonder what church he's going to go to. Well, of course he's going to come to Calvary Chapel County. Oh, hey. Hello. Right? Come on. Actually, you won't. Don't take it personal. He probably wouldn't go to any church. And actually, he probably, if he did, he probably wouldn't be let in. Just saying. You know where he would be if he was on the island? Come on, you know where he would be. He'd be with the least and the last the lame, the blind, the crippled, the prostitutes, the IRS agents in town that work, the tax collectors. <laughs> no, for real. Because he's the great physician. They're the ones in, that need the physician. He's the God who heals. And he's also this true Jesus, the one who is attracted to those people. You know, in the Gospels, you can't, you can't get away from it. Try, it won't work. I'll save you the time. You can't get away from Jesus actually being so attracted to those kind of people. You know, the kind of people you'd never, well, first of all, if they came in and sat down next to you at church, don't look at the person sitting next to you. I, I need a different illustration. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be caught dead hanging around with someone like that. First of all, they need a shower. 
but Jesus would. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the harshest words that ever came out of the Savior's mouth were for the religious leaders. Am I right? You hypocrites. You hypocrites. And the kindest words were to women that were enslaved by prostitution. A woman who had been married like five times already, divorced. You would think in the church today that divorce is the unforgivable sin. No, that's not Jesus. Jesus is actually attracted to the people like that. That's the true Jesus. He's not a Republican. And you know, the other thing too is this whole America-centric dynamic. I need to, I just need to, just let me have this one. (laughs) You know, we have just amazingly, God chooses the foolish to confound the wise, and the weak to confound the strong, and I'm the weak. And I mean, if God can speak through a donkey in Numbers 22, He can speak through me. And just because that way only He gets the glory, right? (laughs) It's not my resume, because I don't have one. It's not my degrees, because I don't have any. I just have Jesus. So God, in, in His searching to and fro throughout the earth, looking for hearts fully devoted to Him, He finds a donkey like me and says, I can use that guy. Be strong on His behalf and for my glory, so that nobody, even if they wanted to try, including the guy I'm going to use, can even try to take the credit for it, because they're going to look and go, oh, because they're local. <laughs> That's the Lord. It, has to be, it can't be Him. I think about Gideon. Are you kidding me? You know, the, you know the account, right? Whittles him down to 300. You still got too many men, Gideon. He's down to 10,000. You still got too many. What? You just sent 22,000 men home. Yeah, you still got too many. Yeah, but the Medeanites have 135,000, and even you can't count them. And I've got too many? Yeah, you got too many. So I want you to go to the springs. <laughs> I, I put myself there. Those of you that have been to Israel with us, we've been at those springs. It's one of the most amazing places. I picture Gideon there. Okay, you got 10,000 men left now. And you're supposed to separate the ones that drink the water over here from how the other ones drink the water over here. What's the distinction going to be. Well, the guys that stick their face in the water and you're just like, you know, drinking the water, put them over there. And the guys that, that cup the water and then bring it up to their mouths and drink, you, you put them over there. Gideon is like, oh man, 1,001, 1,002, 9,000. And then over here in, in this group that cup the water, well, that was 298, 299, 300. You already know what God's going to say. You, like God's going to say, I want you to take the 9,700 now. No. It's okay. There, there's your, there's your, <laughs> God, what are you doing? Oh, you'll see. And by the way, you've probably heard it taught. I know I've uh, taught this many times, but you've probably heard it taught that the 300 who cupped the water and carefully brought it to their mouth and drunk of it were the warriors, man. They were the, they had one eye on the battlefield. And so God chose the 300 green berets. That doesn't fit. Oh, you want me to explain? Because I'm going to anyway. Let's go back to when God calls Gideon. He's hiding out from the Medeanites, because they would steal the grain at the end of the harvest. So he's threshing the grain in a wine press, and God comes to him and says, Oh, mighty warrior, I'm Gideon. I'm like, where? (laughs) Me? Yeah. You're talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. 
I think you got the wrong guy, God. I mean, look at me. I'm hiding. I'm in fear of the Midianites, and you're going to use me to deliver the Midianites into the hands of the Israelites? I think you pulled the wrong file. And he's fighting God all the way from that point on. How does he do it? First, he says, three strikes, I'm out. You got the wrong guy. I'm the black sheep of my family. My family is the black sheep of my tribe, and my tribe is the black sheep of all of the tribes of Israel. Find somebody else. God was like, no, you're the guy. So then what does Gideon do? And by the way, we use this whole fleece thing as a faith thing. It's actually not a faith thing. It's faithless. Think about it. Okay, God, if this is really you, and I'm really the one that you're going to use, then have the dew be on the ground, but not the fleece. And so God's like, okay, whatever. So next morning, the dew's on the ground, but not the fleece. And then here's Gideon. And don't be too hard on him, because we do this all the time. I'm sorry if I'm pointing out. I won't. We do this all the time, don't we? God, if it's really, 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 really you, you know, let a bird hit my windshield at 3 p.m. tomorrow on the pali. Well, that's basically what he does. He says, okay, okay, if it's really, 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 really you, then let the do be on everything, but just have it be on the fleece, not on the ground. God's like, whatever. So he does it. Now Gideon's stuck. He's like, I guess I'm doing this. Yeah, you're doing this. Why me? So that people will know it's me, Gideon. Because they're going to look at you and go, Gideon? Yeah, no, ha. Huh? No, it wasn't Gideon. And then see how it fits with the 300? See, if they were the 300 best of the best cream of the crop, they could have still taken the credit for the victory. They come back to the camp of the Israelites. Well, of course, look at these guys. You know? <laughs> no. They <laughs> I want to be careful how I do this because. I don't want to offend anybody. It comes quite naturally for me. But the reason why they cut the water and brought it to their mouths is because they couldn't bend down. And they probably didn't want to bend down because they weren't sure if they could get back up. No, for real. So does that, does that change the picture a little bit? So here's Gideon looking at these. I say this in, with love and just humility and affection. These were the older guys, like me. Maybe some with walkers. I mean, no disrespect. No, for real. And here's Gideon watching these guys. I can't get down and get the water. If I do, I might drown in there. And all the young whippersnappers are like, you know, and the old guys are going, okay, let me see if I can. And then he's like, hey, put them over there. It's like, oh, wow. Them? That's who we're going to? Yeah, send the other guys home. No! Now watch this. You got 300 guys. They get the clay pots. It's such a, oh, it's such an amazing account. See, every one of those 300 represented to the Medeanites an army behind them. They were the head. So they thought there were like 300,000, and it sent them into a panic and chaos. That's how they defeated him, with the noise of the broken vessel and the lights from 300. I mean, one guy said, like, OK, help me out here, Harry. Just let me get this thing up here. And then break the clay vessel and the sound of it. And they were victorious. Can you imagine these guys going back to the Israelites camp? You should have seen us. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. You should have seen Gideon. Ah, no, I don't think so. Do you have a point? Yes, I have a point. I'll get to it here in a moment. Jesus gets all the glory. And he's all you need. Gideon, JD, fill in your name here. <laughs> Last name first, if you want. If you have Jesus, he's all you need. But he needs to be the true Jesus. Because see, if you're trusting in 
a different Jesus. Well, how do I say it? You're going down. You're going down. You're inviting people to that Jesus? Well, see, you can say, well, yeah, Jesus was a good man who died on the cross. Well, what did He do that for? Unless He's fully God, I'm not saved. I mean, He, he might have been a good man, or that, that Jesus that, that died on the cross, but if He's not fully God, and He's not the true Jesus, and He's not the way, the truth, and the life, then I don't have the only way to the Father except through Him. You see how that works? He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only one. This, uh, I hope, will dovetail into the second one in verses 9 and 10. And it's, do I accept the testimony of Jesus? Okay, so, so first, do I believe in the only true Jesus, and do I accept the testimony of Jesus or about Jesus? Now stay with me. Here, John takes and tackles the matter of accepting man's testimony, interesting, when we have God's infinitely greater testimony about who the true Jesus is. In other words, once we believe in Jesus, presupposing one's belief is in the true Jesus, we'll accept the testimony about Jesus. You'll forgive the courtroom analogy. But we don't see, so we have to rely on the testimony. Right? So you've got somebody there that is going to testify. And am I going to believe and accept that testimony? What are you saying? Well, it's important because one's entrance into eternity will be predicated upon believing, which in turn is seeing, not the other way around. The world says it, seeing is believing. Jesus said, if you believe, you will see. And that is what our eternity is predicated upon, is the accepting of the testimony about Jesus. And it is all by grace through faith. What's faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, the substance of things hoped for, and the, here's the word, evidence of that which is yet unseen. In other words, here's the evidence, here's the testimony about Jesus. Am I going to accept it by faith? I don't see it, but do I believe? Am I going to believe the testimony of God <laughs> about Jesus? Is that the evidence and the testimony that I'm going to accept? Because see, I don't see. See, I don't see. Wow. That's precious. Uh, let me try that again. I can't see because I don't live by sight. I live by faith. And faith is the antithesis of sight. And one day we will no longer need faith, because we will see Him face to face. But all we have for right now is the testimony and the evidence that we accept by faith. That's the testimony about Jesus. And it's God's testimony. And it requires faith. We have to believe and trust and accept by grace through faith that Jesus is who He said He was and who God the Father said He is. We have to accept that. Why? Number three verses 11 through 13. And I think it'll all tie together, at least I hope so. Do I keyword no, no, I have eternal life in Jesus. So once again, 
firm grasp of the obvious, almost rhetorical. This is a rhetorical question, right? Not necessarily. There's so much more to this than that. And I'll explain. Unless and until I know I have eternal life vis-a-vis -vis my belief in Jesus, who is the life, my life will be riddled with uncertainty and ambiguity. I will be double-minded, unstable in all of my ways, tossed to and fro. Why? Because my life will be lived like the jury is still out, and not like the verdict is in, and my sentence has already been carried out. Did you get that? So we have three questions here, all of which are in concert, one with the other. So I only need Jesus, and Jesus is who I only need, because He's the only way to the Father, because He's the way, the truth, and the life. Are we good so far? Okay. But what if, I'm not sure, what if, and it'll show up in how I live my life, because if I don't live my life like I know I have eternal life, well then my life is just, <laughs> that's no way to live. And God does not want you to live like that. Jesus has already paid it all. Jesus has already done it all. It is finished. You have eternal life. We talked about this in the prophecy update. Do you realize that when you were born again, that's when your eternal life started? Was when you gave your life to Christ? That's when your eternal life started. But again, it's not a given, because sadly, it's heartbreaking, but even among Christians, and I would even venture to say born-again Christian, there's still this belief, it's a lie from the father of lies, that there's still something I have to do. I, I still need to do something. I know He did it all, it is finished, He paid it all, but we still live our lives like, well, we better, you know, kind of keep our noses clean. I shouldn't use noses, but... You get what I'm saying? I'll tell you how real this is, sadly. Uh, it manifests in what is known as the false teaching of the partial rapture. Stay with me. What's the partial rapture? Only those who are on fire for the Lord and walking close with the Lord are going to go up in the rapture. So you better watch out what you're doing when the trumpet sounds. You don't want to be doing that. Well, wait a minute. No. That's works then. Then, then it sounds like, okay, so I'm saved, but now I got to do something to stay saved. So I guess Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 doesn't work anymore. I might as well don't do this, but <laughs> it, you shouldn't have it in your Bible, because it says, for by grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast and brag. This is what I did to get here. <laughs> Could you imagine if that was heaven? That, I think that's the other place. But uh, no. <laughs> Uh, it's not by works. There's nothing I can do. And there's nothing that I have to do. Could you imagine that? And, and I am just, this is, a, this is a thing for me personally, especially when it comes to the rapture, which I'm a 
ferociously protective of the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. And you get some yo-yo, some, I better be careful here, some guy comes in and says, well, you know, unless you're, you know, if you're backslidden, I'm not so sure. Well, then the jury's out again. I thought the verdict was in. Jesus shouldn't have said that. Then He's, you're making God out to be a liar, because God the Son said, it is finished. Was there a comma there? Was there a however there? Was there an if there? It is finished. If you're a good little boy and girl. No. So why am I harping on this? Because once you're saved and born again, you can't be unsaved and unborn again. And I don't care what people tell you. And I know that this is a big issue in the church today. And of course it is, because Satan's the author of confusion. Of course he's going to do that. And don't you find it interesting, by the way, that it's always, oh boy, I'm really, yeah, I'm supposed to be trying to close. I'm just getting started. But don't you find it interesting that the enemy is all over the pre-tribulation rapture? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. I wonder why. Come on. You know why? So you have to understand, Satan knows Bible prophecy better than you and I ever will. And he knows Scripture better than you and I ever will. And he knows that if he could just plant that little seed of doubt in the supple soil of our minds, and then it germinates and sprouts just a little bit of doubt, he's got All of a sudden now, verse 13, 1 John 5, well, I don't know. I don't know. You don't think that's going to affect how you live your life here, if you don't know that you have eternal life there? Man, I, a Christian to be pitied is a Christian that does not live knowing they have eternal life. What if I told you there's nothing you can do to make God love you less? Or how about this? There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Try as you may. And here's another one for you. I love this one. God doesn't love someone else more than He loves you. Really? Because here's, here's what we believe. This is what we believe. We believe when we get to heaven, there's going to be like the VIP line. Well, there will be a VIP line. It'll be a, a very, uh, uh, what's a good word for I? <laughs> you don't want to be in that line. I'll be in that line because I'm a teacher. I'll be held to a higher and stricter <laughs> standard. Will you wave at me when you go by? But no, we have this, like there's degrees, like, you know, hall. Again, because we're local. But you, 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 you get there, and it's kind of like, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and then you're going to show up. It's your turn. And you get there, and they're going to go, wait, not, what, let me see. Are you on here? Oh, there you are. I, I, oh, what a, wow. You just got in by the hair of your chinny chin chin. <laughs> Come on. Am I right? And then it's kind of like, well, go ahead. Uh, why don't you just go over there to the side for now? We'll, we'll get back to you. No. I think we're going to be in for a shock when we're in heaven. You know the three responses? And I am almost done. There's hope. You know the three responses? You've heard, have you heard this? The three responses when that trumpet sounds. First response. <gasps> I'm here. Second response, huh? they're here? Oh yeah, I know somebody's coming to mind right now. It's okay. I feel you. They're here. <laughs> but it's the third one that's more sobering. Where are they? Here's my point. 
nobody in heaven is going to be at the rapture saying anything like, wow, I see how it is. Look at their mansion. Where does JD live? (laughs) Am I right? All of that has at its core this common denominator of earning it, working for it, deserving it. And it's a smack and a spit in the face of grace. I'm saved by grace, not that. When, when I'm up there, I'm not going to pull out my, you know, what I pastored a church on the windward side of Oahu, faithfully keeping my hands to the plow. No. What are you doing here? Jesus. That's why I'm here. Not because I'm all that. That was horrible. (laughs) I'm, I'm here only because of Jesus. And so is everyone else that's here. Jesus. Don't, don't try, you know, don't, don't try to add to it. Well, yeah, Jesus and. No, 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 no. Did he just just say and? He said and. No. No, it's just Jesus. Only. You have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. And knowing that you have eternal life in Jesus will make your life and your walk with Jesus infinitely better. And it should also be a soothing, healing balm on a hurting heart. Because all you need is Jesus. Yeah, I know you're hurting, you're feeling betrayed, you're struggling. Someone turned on you, said that about you, did that against you, posted that on that. I'm really going to hit home now. No, no. It doesn't matter what they did to you or posted online about you. The only thing that matters is that Jesus died for you. What Jesus did for you. Get your eyes off of what they're doing to you and your eyes on Jesus and what He did for you. It'll change your life. I promise you, I promise you, it'll change your life. You know how when you know you made a good decision is when your only regret is that you didn't make it sooner? That's me. I'm the poster child for that. It was when I had my eyes opened up to this truth that I was set free, because I was living my life kind of on the Christian uh, treadmill. You've heard that, you know, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> oh, right? Oh, that worked. That was, I haven't used that for a while. That's probably why. Got a lot of new people. I you know, pull out my old stuff, you know. No, have you ever heard that before? The, the rat race of life, we call it. I think as Christians, we're on this, this treadmill, just striving and striving. And Jesus is going, what are you doing? What was this for? Well, you know, I want to prove myself worthy. Really? Why do you need to do that? Well, so that I can have eternal life. I, why are you trying to pay a bill I already paid in full for you? No, but I was going to, why? One last thing, and I want to share just in closing a a personal uh, story that is, um, I I prayed this morning about it. I guess maybe the Lord is prompting me by the Holy Spirit to share it. But if you live your life like that, then the life that Jesus came, He did come for this, by the way, was to give you life and life more abundantly a fulfilling life, a blessed life, a life that has been set free from the bondage of works, that earning, that rat race Christian life. 
a life that's been set free of that, because you have Jesus. That's all you need. And because I have Jesus, and Jesus is all I need, I also know that I have eternal life. I'm good. I'm set, man. I got a made in the shade, Psalm 121, like we talked about today. I got a, do you, do you realize the inheritance? I, do you talk about trust funders? Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to be walking on streets of gold. That reminds me of that story, just real quick. Why not? You know, a guy shows up with gold into heaven, right? And Jesus is like, what are you doing with that? Why are you bringing asphalt up here? Because that's what this... Yeah, I pushed it too far on that one. I probably should have let it go. Okay, real quick. I, wanna, I just want to share with you. The year was 1995. Uh, my mother died in my arms May 22nd, 1995. I was there in the hospital with her for the last couple of days, <clears throat> just reading out of the Psalms. And uh, I knew it was just a matter of time. And I, I really loved my mommy, and my mommy really loved me. <laughs> but see, she was brought up, and I was brought up in a belief system that did not teach that you could have the assurance and know with a certainty that you have eternal life. And I saw it virtually destroy both of my parents, because who, who can stand up under the crushing weight of trying to earn and work and get and deserve, right? But that's how she lived her life, all her life, till the end of her life. So. I did both my parents' memorial services. I, I did my own daughter's memorial service. I tell you, I've done a lot of memorial services in my life. But prior to the memorial service, I was going through my mom's bills, because my dad had just died nine months earlier. So I was going through all of the bills, making sure that everything was taken care of. My sister was in California at the time. And I come across the utility bill for the electrical bill. And written on the outside of that envelope, in my mom's handwriting in English, not her first language, was Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And I mean, just like the Lord knew I needed to see that. She wrote it out in her handwriting. I have it to this day. I can, I can, I know exactly where it's at. I've kept that envelope to this day. Why? Because I'm saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, as I've been taught all my life that I have to earn eternal life. No. It's all by grace. And it was in that moment I knew, and I shared it at the memorial service, I knew that my mom, me knew that she, and I was there, by the way, and I've been at the bedside of many people as they've entered eternity. And I don't want to lose it here, but when uh, my mom took her last breath, you know, the monitor just flatlined, right? She had been in a coma, which I think is the grace of God, just to kind of you know, numb the pain and discomfort before they die. So for two days she's in a coma, eyes closed. But I had my hand on her hand. And when she flatlined and went to be with Jesus, her hands lifted up and her eyes opened up. And she said, <laughs> Lord, let me see that. He knew that I needed to see that, because I needed that. And He knew that. And her hands lifted up, and her eyes opened up, and she was ushered into the presence of Jesus, asked him from her body, present with the Lord. Just Jesus. Jesus only. Capone, you better come up before I, <laughs> I'm going to short circuit this thing up here with my, <laughs> watch the stand, we'll, 
I don't know how else to end, so I guess we'll just end. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you would send to us your only begotten Son. Give to us, not withhold from us your only begotten Son, but you would give him to us to die for us, that whosoever among us would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life, and know that we have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. It's just you, Jesus. This world, forget it. You can have this world. We just want you, Jesus. We follow you, Jesus. We believe in you, Jesus. And though none go with us, still we will follow you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.